Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from the Farnham U3A World History Group. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A World History Group, nor the team at the Mr T Podcast Studio. In this talk, Joanne Watson tells us about the historic associations of different colours to different things. We learn, for example, that red is a good colour for danger because it can be seen from a long distance. Whereas in the United States, it used to be pink for a boy and blue for a girl. Throughout history, colour has played an important part in how we perceive institutions, parties, religions, ideas, teams and people. One of the earliest examples comes from the Roman era. They used purple in their imperial robes, which signified power and wealth. Now, the purple dye was both expensive and tricky to make, especially when you judge by the main ingredients in this recipe. I don't know how familiar you are with Murex shells, but there you are. That's what you need. Incidentally, you can't find these shells in Britain. They are tropical. And I would think after you've done this, it would actually smell horrendous. Incidentally, when we think of Roman statues like this one of Augustus, we tend to think of cream marble. And the Renaissance sculptors copied this idea, but they were wrong. The statues would originally have been decorated, but the colour gradually wore off to reveal the base layer, which is what we associate with them today. In the 9th century, colour was used to discriminate against Jews and non-Muslims. By the 12th, yellow was documented as being a way to mark out members of the Jewish community, and with it came the necessity to wear a badge and sometimes particular clothing. It was by no means the only colour used, and the persecution and identification of communities continued through the centuries. Now, of course, this reached its zenith during the Nazi regime. When it comes to modern elections, well, we're left in no doubt as to which party is which by the colour on their campaign information, Tory blue, certainly more attention-grabbing than the buff of the Whigs. A few years after that, another colour made its mark and still reflects a political element today, orange. The Principality of Orange was originally part of the Netherlands, and it's still included in the name of the Dutch royal family. William, Prince of Orange, was invited to come over to take the British crown with his English wife Mary, the niece of Charles II. The reigning monarch James II was a Catholic, but unrest over his religion, the birth of a son which presaged a Catholic dynasty, and parliamentary supremacy meant that he was forced into exile. He returned, landing in Ireland, but was defeated by King William's forces. Now, the Orange Marches are still very much part of Northern Irish life, culminating on July the 12th, which, in theory, marks William's victory at the Battle of the Boyne. In fact, the adoption of the Gregorian calendar in 1752, before the foundation of the Orange Order, and the consequent loss of 11 days, means the really significant battle on the old July the 12th was now much later. But the date had grown roots in Protestant folklore, so the nearest conflict to the new 12th became the focal point. Significance of different colours were important in promoting the suffragette campaign. 
Emmeline Pepe Lawrence, editor of the weekly newspaper Votes for Women and the probable creator of the brand wrote, purple stands for loyalty and dignity, white for purity and green for hope. Introduced in 1908, it was a very successful method of marketing their cause in a feminine way. Women would wear sashes, but you could find numerous other renditions, tricolor shoes, a lady's bicycle, brooches, badges, and jewelry. Moving on to red, now this is popular with many causes. The Jacobins raised a red flag to commemorate their martyr's blood, and it was adopted with the trademark Phrygian cap. The tricolor, which we recognize today, also came into being in this period. And again, each color has a specific significance. Red, in fact, became a standout color and spread rapidly, including to the British Navy, where during the Spithead and Norm Mutinies in 1797, some crews hoisted red flags. Nearly a century later, the banners of the Paris Commune in 1871, after the end of the Second Empire, were red, reinforcing its association as symbolic of the left. Add to that the flag of the Soviet Union, Communist China, and from 1906, the British Labour Party. Traditionally, the Labour Party sings the red flag at party conferences, although in 1986, the Red Rose became their official party emblem. In the middle of the 19th century, Garibaldi's men pursuing Italian unification adopted the red shirts. Garibaldi had spent time in exile in Uruguay and was involved in military action where the volunteers used red shirts destined for slaughterhouse workers. When he came back to Europe, his Italian supporters adopted the same colored shirts and they even became a fashion item. Well, many years later, the idea was taken up by the Italian fascists under Mussolini, who wore black shirts. Their origins date back to 1919 and began as a group of disgruntled First World War soldiers. By 1922, they numbered in excess of 200,000. The British black shirts, led by Oswald Mosley, were founded 10 years later and had several notable early supporters. Their Nazi-style anti-Semitic policies led to the infamous East End riots of Cable Street in 1936. Consequently, political uniforms were banned, and the British Union of Fascists was outlawed in 1940, with many hundreds interned. More notorious were the German brown shirts, the SA. They played an important part in the rise of the Nazi party. At their height in 1933, this violent paramilitary group had more than two million in their ranks. Following the Night of the Long Knives in 1934, Hitler withdrew his support, though they didn't disappear completely until the end of the war. Now, the brown shirts, like the Nazi party, drew on former glories, including in the colours of their flag. Well, this takes us very nicely onto the subject of flags. So the good old flag of St. George, who was or perhaps wasn't a proper saint and which we seem to have borrowed from the Italians. I'm presuming that we no longer pay an annual tribute to the mayor of Genoa. Now that's a fairly logical uh, progression. Less logical is the Scots, the legend of the saltire appearing in the sky before a famous battle and then being adopted. Now, of course, uh, we can't do without another part of the United Kingdom and the Welsh, and quite a dramatic flag. And interesting here that it was adopted by Henry VII when he fought at the Battle of Bosworth, presumably to try and be as inclusive as possible. I'm not entirely sure how Welsh 
the Tudors were, but enough to be included. Now, of course, when a country becomes independent, they look to change their flags. India, this took a committee quite a long time, as I understand it, to come up with something that was acceptable to all parts of their community, but has very specific significance. I was told that the wheel, which apparently represents law, was also supposed to indicate modernization. Saudi Arabia, and again, color and religion playing an important part. One thing that is interesting is you can never fly it at half-mast, as that would be considered blasphemous. Now, black, as in the ISIS flag, is familiar in many forms, such as the Black Death. And this was so cool because the lymph nodes turned black and swelled up from the bacteria that entered the skin, and it just absolutely ravaged the European population. A few more examples of black and indeed white. I looked up the origins of the checkered flag, and it's very vague. Someone suggested it was a product of a, a sort of method in mid-America where they used to take off their red and white tablecloths and wave it at people to signify something. How it then became black and white, I don't know. And of course, if you had the Model T Ford, black because it dried quickest, well, you would actually need a little red flag to walk in front of it for many years. Perhaps more interesting is that the white flag of surrender dates back to 25 to 200 AD, far earlier than I had imagined. And of course, the good old Johnny Roger. Of course, we now have the Black Lives Matter movement with many members, not surprisingly, dressing in all black. Now, you may not associate this subject with music, but there's even a color symphony with each movement color coded appropriately. What about blue? Well, the term blue blood for the aristocracy originated in the medieval period. Members of that elite invariably had pale skin as they didn't work outdoors, and the blood in their veins would show through their skin as blue. A few centuries later, an item of blue clothing was a form of sexual advertising. However, what you may not know is that prostitutes in this period and beyond were called Winchester geese, and that's because the Bishop of Winchester owned so many brothels in London. Now, Farnham is part of that diocese, so how many were in our town, I wonder? Some colours changed their association over time, such as pink. But it originally, pink was associated with young boys as a pale version of masculine red, while blue for girls had feminine connotations associated with the Virgin Mary's cloak. And red, of course, appeared in our first traffic signals, which were red semaphore flags. It didn't last long. And of course, the red-green system was introduced in 1914 in Cleveland, and predominantly red is because it can be seen from further afield than green. Now, the visibility of red was important and was the primary reason it was used for British post boxes. So why the French went for yellow, I don't know. Now, it's very British identity meant one of the early decisions made when Ireland became the Irish Free State was to repaint their boxes green. But they didn't stipulate any particular shade, so there were many variations. More recently, after the 2012 Olympics in Paris, post boxes here were painted gold in the hometowns of our gold medalists. Now, in the age of sail, warships used different coloured flags to signal to other members of the fleet. HMS Victory with England expects that every man will do his duty. The marine telegraphy vocabulary, you'd have to have quite a few man hours and whatever to get those flags in the right sequence, I would imagine. Now, later steamships would adopt coloured funnels 
to signify and identify their companies. That's a QE2 in Dubai, as it now is as a hotel. And on the right-hand side, if you come down three rows, two in from the left is the White Star, of course, most famous through the Titanic. The world of sport plays an important part with colour association. So let's start with yellow, most famously associated with the Tour de France cycle race. But as you can see, yellow, pretty much the forgotten colour, and the only one probably that was available is how we ended up using it. Yellow is also associated with cricket as the colour of the cricketer's Bible wisdom. And as for the on-the-field activities, in the early days, cricketers would wear a formal shirt, perhaps with spots or stripes. The idea of whites came about much later, though, to be honest, even now they wouldn't pass the personal test, as they're really cream, as you see from these guys last year. The idea of colour clothing originated more than 40 years ago with the Packer revolution, and most club teams these days will have at least two or three teams that play in coloured kit. One very famous cricketing colour scheme belongs to the MCC, the Maribyrn Cricket Club. It's generally acknowledged it originated from the business connections of its major 19th century benefactor, William Nicholson. Yes, the MCC was built on gin, and one suspects that that particular member had had a couple too many. Now, as you're probably aware, tennis players at Wimbledon have to wear white, predominantly white, and the reason apparently is that it doesn't show the sweat, and that was very important for any young ladies exerting themselves in matches. The new Premier League champions Liverpool started with yellow and blue before switching to red and white. The introduction of the all-red strip became before a European Cup match in 64, as the legendary manager Bill Shankly thought it suggested power and danger and would have a psychological effect. They won the match and it became the strip from the start of the next season. In the world of racing, each horse carries its owner's coloured silks. No two sets can be the same, and if you own two horses in the same race, the silks have to be different in some way. I'm not sure if any of you have a string of racing thoroughbreds, but if that's your dream, you can design your own colours the horse racing board app. Sadly, the link's not working, but it is quite fun just to go on it and come up with variations, and then it will tell you whether you're unique or not. Now, of course, military uniform is a major example of colour for identity, and it dates back to the 17th century. Before that, soldiers would usually wear their own clothes, though wealthy noblemen might outfit their private armies with their own livery. In general, the armies would tell each other apart by a coloured armband, or a sprig of a certain plant pinned to their hats. This changed in the Civil War. Part of the reforms that created the new model army was to give soldiers the same uniform. These were supplied and paid for by Parliament, who not surprisingly picked the cheapest option, which at that time was called Venetian Red. After Cromwell's Commonwealth, the restored monarchy carried on supplying red uniforms for the same reason, they were cheap. After a while, what began as a mere matter of practicality became a proud tradition. British soldiers won battle all over the world and conquered an empire wearing red uniforms, so they were associated with British military glory. But the invention of the rifle led to the realisation quite soon that wearing bright colours on the battlefield wasn't a good idea. Greyish-brown camouflage uniforms were first introduced by the British Army in India, the colour khaki comes from the Hindi word for earth-coloured or dusty. 1885 was the last time British soldiers wore red uniforms in battle. 
though of course they still keep them for ceremonial purposes and parades. In 1915, the French army established the world's first military unit dedicated to disguise. It began with 30 artists, but expanded to 3,000 by the end of the war. They hand-painted millions of yards of patterned camouflage fabrics for use in military uniforms, canvas screens, and netting to hide gun locations. The camoufleurs included many traditional painters, but also well-known cubists, whose abstract art form was ideal. And of course, the idea was soon adopted by armies elsewhere. Camouflage was then extended to ships, with the dazzle designs. But the reason was not to conceal, but to confuse. It was to do with gunners not being able to judge the range. At the start of World War I, the British Admiral formed the Order of the White Feather. A feather would be sent or shown to young men not in uniform to shame them into enlisting. Now that story is pretty well known, but less so is that in the US, it had a very different meaning, as it was a mark of courage and superior markmanship in combat. So a great example of how one colour means radically different things to different people. Still with the wartime theme and the advent of the red poppy. The poem, I think, is fairly familiar. It inspired an American professor and volunteer, Minor Michael, to wear a red poppy as a symbol of remembrance for the dead. Post-war, silk poppies were sold to support disabled servicemen. If selling poppies is American, then Poppy Days comes from a campaigning Frenchwoman. Perhaps now more familiar to the French is the wild cornflower, le bleuet. And that's because this had long been associated with French veteran charities. And it was formally recognized in France in the 1930s for use on Remembrance Day. Well, now to a happier theme, weddings. For decades, we regarded white weddings as the norm, but it was Queen Victoria that made them popular. Royal brides before Victoria typically chose heavy brocaded gowns embroidered with white and silver thread with red a popular colour. As accounts of Victoria's wedding spread across the world, elites followed her lead. Outside the upper classes, brides would wear their best frock in true Jane Austen fashion. But the black wedding dress still remains part of the Catholic tradition. I checked on a bridal website and apparently these days a black wedding dress is supposed to signify elegance, power and female sexuality. Now, in general, we associate black with mourning, but that's not always the case. It dates back to the 16th century, but it's still going on or still going on in the 20th century. Colour choices have long been associated and used in marketing and psychology, and many of these slides have had different backgrounds. I don't know whether they've influenced your mood, but perhaps now you think it's time for a cuppa, but what colour is your favourite mug? Apparently, if you have a sweet tooth, a red or pink mug accentuates the sweetness, whilst a white or blue one can bring out the saltiness of the tea bag. Well, I've already highlighted the use of yellow in several ways a little earlier, and here are a few more, starting with this familiar, but soon to disappear, handy guide. And again, the use of yellow paper seems to have been pretty incidental. I don't know whether to hang on to my final edition of Yellow Pages in case it's worth thousands on eBay in 20 years' time. But yellow has, in fact, become a much more prominent political colour, as I'm sure you're aware. This from Korea, where, again, it has a dual meaning. Perhaps we're more familiar with the association with leftist opposition politics because of the gilets jaunes. But what I hadn't realised is there's a, a sort of rival 
the orange jackets in Italy. They seem to have sort of disappeared under the radar, but maybe we'll see them again. Interesting that they wanted a return to the lira. Now, I'm sure many of you will recall a popular song in the 1970s called Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree, sung by Tony Orlando. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing a verse or two here. This was a reminder to anyone in jail or in the military that they would be welcomed home on their return. The origins and the sentiments go back probably to the 19th century and the practice that some women had of wearing a yellow ribbon in their hair to signify devotion to a husband or sweetheart serving in the US cavalry. Coloured ribbons in general, as we saw earlier, have suddenly become very popular and many are associated with health awareness. I'm sure we're all familiar with the AIDS and indeed the breast cancer but there are now more than 100 ribbons for various causes. And then we have multicolored flags and banners. Now this LGBT originally had eight stripes. It then went down to six because some parts of the world had difficulty sourcing certain colors. Essentially, as you can see, again, each color has an association. And during the last few months, of course, the rainbow idea has been very prevalent in this country. Houses, banners, photographs, all round with the rainbow and thanking those key workers during the pandemic. So there you are, ladies and gentlemen, a quick whiz through colours in history. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A World History Group. Thank you very much for listening to this talk.